You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on out there, Kings fans, Kings world? Maybe it's expanding to a Kings world, or it's a Kings nation at this point. Welcome back to the Ruler of the Court podcast, brought to you by the Basketball Podcast Network. I am your in a good mood host, Jason Jones of The Athletic, here to bring you some Kings talk, Kings insight, and of course, what maybe some of you come show up here for my music insights my hip-hop takes and this version of the hip-hop portion of the show will be super bowl themed but we'll get to that later on we're going to start off talking about the sacramento kings who are 12 and 11 after knocking off the la clippers 113 110 saturday afternoon at staples center the first time the kings have been above 500 after 23 games since the 2018-19 season when they were 12 and 11 after 23 games what does that mean? Oh, man, the Kings have won seven of their last eight. They've won four in a row. And that stretch in January where they might have been the worst defensive basketball team I've ever seen, they've weathered that. They've gotten past that. Now look at them, 12 and 11, right in the mix in terms of standings, in terms of what they can hope to still accomplish this season. You know, nothing's lost right now. And there's a lot of reasons why things are clicking for them. You know, we could talk about De'Aaron Fox, you know, seemingly figuring things out, taking his game to another level. We could talk about Rashawn Holmes, you know, and his steady play around the basket defensively, timely shots, defense, blocking shots, rebounds. We could talk about Harrison Barnes, a.k.a. the Black Falcon. Yes, I'm going to join Hassan Whiteside, and we're going to keep the Black Falcon nickname alive. (laughs) You know, Harrison Barnes having... You know, probably all the way around, his, so far, the best season of his career. You know, the improvement in Buddy Hill's game, all you know, besides just shooting the ball, you know, rebounding, showing more of a an effort or a focus on defense. There's a lot to talk about, but that's not what I want to talk about when it comes to this recent stretch of play. I want to talk about Luke Walton, you know, a Kings head coach, and... A person, a lot of Kings fans, at least if you read you read, read my mentions on Twitter, you know, a person that a lot of Kings fans just don't like. My, I personally believe that some of you out there have not gotten over the fact that Luke Walton played for the Lakers. And I just think that in some ways, I think he walked in with you hating him from the start. I think some of you were seduced by the 2018-19 season. 
you saw the record ended up being 39 and 43. You were convinced that Dave Yeager was the man to lead the team back from their many, many, many years of abysmal play. And you took the anger, your anger out on from the front that it should have been aimed at the front office or other people about the Dave Yeager situation and took it out on Luke Walton. Never mind the fact that in many ways, Dave Yeager did all he could to irritate the front office and get fired. So there's that part of it as well. You know, but I get it. You know, you don't want to talk about that because the front office was uh, seemed so inept to you, so on and so forth. You know, Vlade didn't draft Luca. We can go on and on and on. So there was no way to believe that Vlade was making the right decision and moving on from Dave Yeager. But anyone in that locker room associated with that team will tell you at that point in the Kings, um, I guess you could say at that point of their development, they had to move on from Dave because it was not going to work long term anyway. So said all that to bring us back to Luke Walton, who has been the subject and target of hate. You know, I think people assumed that he would get fired. I know you, you, you probably read or heard that some candidates for the GM job didn't want the job because they had to have inherit Luke Walton as their coach and they didn't want Luke Walton as their coach. And Monty McNair took the job anyway with Luke on his, as his coach, knowing he would have him for this year, and he's under contract for next season. So, a lot to you know, unpack and deal with when it comes to Luke's situation. And I know a lot of you, a lot of uh, not necessarily me, but a lot of people assume that Luke was getting fired at the end of the season anyway. So it didn't really matter what he said or did. People were treating this season as a 72-game countdown to the end of Luke's tenure in Sacramento. I don't know. If, I don't believe that to be fair, or accurate, or true. But hey, it is what it is. People just assume that new GM Luke's got to go. Well, after this game, uh, Luke was getting praised from you know of all people. Guess what? Buddy Hill was praising him. I know that sounds you know the most 2020s like you know bizarro world thing, but Buddy had good things to say. De'Aaron Fox had good things to say about Luke and the coaching staff and. It's kind of been echoed, echoed what some other players have said about how good Luke and the staff have been, even when they, the Kings went through their stretch of losing 9 of 11. And before this season began, my belief, my theory was that in terms of coaching, over the course of the year, I felt we would see the best of Luke Walton as a coach. What that would mean, I don't know. Did that mean, you know, playoffs? Did it mean... You know, in a 72-game season, that means 40 wins. I don't know. I didn't know what it would mean, but I thought we would see the best. And here's my theory as to why. New GM, you know, which essentially means you you got to prove yourself to a new boss, and there's no telling how that boss really feels about you. And so what do you got to lose? If, the, if, he's gonna, if he was going to fire you at the end of the season, if he, that means he could fire you. A month into the season. So you go ahead and just do your job. No pressure. Secondly, I fit, I believe that this coaching staff was more in line to what uh, with Luke. And I wrote about it a little bit about that uh, Sunday afternoon, evening, well, wrote during the Super Bowl actually, <laughs> about this for The Athletic. You can find that on TheAthletic.com. But I wrote about this kind of how the addition of Rex Kalamian and Alvin Gentry, how what that meant to Luke this season. 
And let's let's take it back a little bit to last season. When Luke was hired as head coach, he was hired in April and had to put together a staff. The man he wanted to bring in as his lead assistant was uh, a guy in L.A., former NBA head coach, former NBA champion of the player, champion of the assistant coach, Brian Shaw. And depending on who you believe, you know, the people you talk to, essentially the Kings lowballed Brian Shaw. You know, which is basically another nice way of saying that they didn't want any part of Brian Shaw. So, Brian is now the uh, coach of the G League Elite team, but, you know, he didn't end up in Sacramento, which is what I think a lot of people would have assumed. Uh, in between Vlade, FGM, and Luke, they look at other people. I know Vlade was a big fan of J.B. Bickerstaff, who was actually with a, friend, a good friend of Luke's. So that would have made sense. He was also interested in Ime Udoka, you know, some other names out there. And eventually they ended up with Igor, Igor Kokoskov. Oh, you always stumble over his name, you have to forgive me. Igor Kokoskov, sorry. Those uh, extra Ks throw me off every now and then. But we hire Igor, and here's the thing with that. At the time that Igor was brought on, there was still some question in the air about Luke and his legal situation. He had the uh, sexual assault allegation from the reporter in Southern California hanging over his head. There were people suggesting that the king shouldn't keep Luke. And it looked, you know, even though it was denied by the Kings, it looked like Vlade had just hired his coach in waiting in case he couldn't keep Luke. That's what it looked like to everyone. And I don't know how you function optimally in that situation when there's a feat, you know, and I've seen it before in the NBA, seen it with the Kings where you feel like the front office is trying to put coaches in place that may not be aligned with you. And I'm not accusing of Igor of anything, Never got any sense of that, but just to get you, let you understand that Luke's going into a season last season with uh, his lead assistant, not necessarily being the guy that was his first choice. And it's, and everyone knows that Igor is, you know, Vlad is a big fan of Igor. And with the other stuff going on, it seems like Igor's a great backup plan. So you go into there with that backdrop and... The season ends up getting turned around, you know, by March, the pandemic hits. Last March, the pandemic hits. Season gets shut down. Kings go to the restart. Uh, by that point, um, it's known that Igor is going to take a, take the uh, coaching job back in the Turkish League. Coaching uh, Bogey, the old uh, Turkish League team, leaves during the bubble. And you say to yourself, wow, the lead assistant left, like, you no, know, during the bubble, you know, okay, but it didn't seem like that was uh, a big factor, you know, as far as what the Kings ended up doing the rest of the way. So fast forward past that to the offseason, you know, Vlade's fired, or I'm sorry, resigned, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you bring in Monty McNair as GM, but now Luke maybe has a little more freedom in terms of putting together the rest of his staff, and... One of the first guys he looks out for, reaches out to to bring into the staff is Alvin Gentry. And here's why that's big. Number one, Alvin is clearly Luke's guy. And I think if you're going to have some togetherness, some structure, a chance of improving, and if you're in your Luke, you want to go into this season with your people, your guy, knowing that, hey, this guy's rolling with me. There's no question about... You know, no one can question whether or not 
you know, who brought him in. You know, Alvin's my guy. Alvin and Luke had a previous uh, relationship from the time they coached at the Warriors. They won the championship together in 2015 as assistant coaches. And on that team, Alvin played a very critical role with the coaching staff in terms of what he did for, you know, what he did for Steve Kerr, helping implement that offense and get things organized and doing a lot of teaching. And I actually wrote about that too back before the season where I talked to Steve Kerr about that. You know, so when you had that whole situation, you know, you you bring that together, I think that gives Luke a sense of power over the situation because he's got his guy. And then Rex Kalamian comes in later to replace Bob Byer, who would run the defense. And it's, you know, it's different in this environment, you know, COVID environment, not being able to be around the players and maybe talk to them away from the camera, away from the recorders. But the sense you get from everything you do is that the guys really like Rex and what he brought. And so Luke has nothing to lose, <laughs> essentially. You know, he's got, his, you know, more of a staff that he you know that's his staff. His lead assistant is, you know, somebody he knows well, which should really help with the teaching. And like I said, Alvin, anywhere Alvin's gone, the offense has been better. And last season with Igor, for whatever reason, the offense just didn't hit. I mean, it just, it seemed like it was a struggle. You know, De'Aaron took off a little bit. It seemed like Buddy lost his way eventually. Harrison was never quite as big a factor as you like, consistently at least. You know, so, I mean, there was just, there was still so much work to do on the offense. And just a season earlier under Jaeger, the offense had been so much better. So you you, you get Alvin in, you know, you get his, him helping with the teaching and implementation of things that Luke wants to do. And I don't think any of us can argue that the offense looks better than it did last season. And we're starting to see some changes defensively where after that, you know, terrible January, they're starting to inch toward respectability on the defensive end. And you're starting to see it get a little bit better, you know, game by game after they spent most of January giving up 120, 125 points. So I think now we're ba- we're seeing the best of Luke. We're going to see even better from Luke as a coach just because he's got nothing to lose, really. Really nothing to lose, you know. If McNair has already made the decision that he doesn't want to keep Luke beyond this season, not much you can do as the coach to change that, you know, if, if that decision has been made. I've get, I have no indication that Monty McNair has made that decision. I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of a, as a fact that if that was the case, there's nothing Luke could really do to change that. So he, he's going to go out there and just, you know, do his job, not worry about, you know, what what this decision might mean for me down the road or next year. He's going to coach for now, and I think you see him doing that. I think you see him going out there, going with his gut. You know, his, the rotation is much more consistent than than it was last year now that he's had more time around these guys. He's sticking to his rotation. He's got a closing lineup, I guess you call it the Kings version of the deaf lineup. <laughs> he's got all that, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways, he's in a good groove right now as a coach. Even Sunday... You know, sometimes when you when, when things are going well, you take a wild gamble and it still works. And for the Kings and Luke on Sunday, that was going with a lineup of Tyrese Halliburton, Corey Joseph, Kyle Guy, Glenn Robertson III, and Chemezi Metu. That's right, guys. Two, you're both of your two-way players on the court. 
<laughs> with a rookie, even though even though um, Ty Tyrese is a different kind of rookie, still a rookie in Corey Joseph and Glenn Robinson, and that group in the fourth quarter actually got the Kings turned the game over to the Kings with a five point lead. It went down to three after some free throws, but they pushed the lead up enough to where when the starters came back and their closing lineup got in the game, they were able to finish the job. I mean, any other time Luke tries that lineup to say that, you know, during the losing streak, he's getting killed for that. But lo and behold, it worked. So I think for you, you got to give Luke credit for what he's doing. And I, I still believe you're going to continue to see the best of him as a coach just because there's nothing there's nothing to lose for Luke you know if they win it's great for him and if you know it's great it may be you know and if if he if they lose hey it's the Kings no one really holds it against him maybe but I do believe that Luke's ability to communicate with these guys the way the staff is seen to connect with these guys is going to pay off and it's paying off right now and it's a good thing for the Kings and like I said I still believe that the way this team is is, is going right now, I don't, they're not going to win seven of eight, you know, consistently over the rest of the year. You're not going to win eighty percent of your games probably. But what you can expect is that that relationship the players and the coaches have to continue to get better. You continue to see more improved communication on defense. The offense is figuring stuff out. So even though Luke will never take credit for anything that's happening right now. I mean, you have, he's not going to take credit at all. I'm going to give Luke Walton credit and the staff credit for what they've done by staying consistent, sticking with their message on both ends of the floor, watching this thing come together. And now, like I said, the Kings now sit at 12 and 11. <laughs> this is after being 5 and 10 at one point, you remember. So this is quite, you know a a good turnaround for them, a good, you know, a good step in the right direction, and I'm not big on where you are in the standings, you know, and after 23 games, but this goes to show you how crazy this thing is. The Kings are, you know, ninth in the West, and it's really, <laughs> if you look at it, from six all the way down to, to Dallas at 10, at 14, there's only three games separating all those teams. No. Kings are only a game, <laughs> you know, they're a, they're a half a game out of six right now. And like, like I said, it's still a lot of basketball to be played, but this goes to show you, you can't bury a team just because they have a rough stretch early in the year, which the Kings have been through. Maybe they won't do it anymore. I'm not going to go that far and say all that yet, but it's definitely a good sign for the Kings. So enough basketball talk, enough Luke Walton King's talk. I promised you all a Super Bowl edition of the hip hop corner, the hip hop chat with yours truly. And here's why it's Super Bowl edition. Tom Brady uh, went out there, won Super Bowl MVP, got his seventh Super Bowl ring. And I don't understand why there was even still a debate over who the greatest of all time at quarterback was. I don't understand anyone arguing against Tom Brady at this point. But in case there were still people arguing, saying, you know, well, Joe Montana didn't lose in the Super Bowl. Joe Montana didn't get to 10. <laughs> you know, John Elway got to five, I believe. No, but he, you know, this man's been to 10 Super Bowls. 
There's one seven of them. To me, there's no argument. I mean, if at this point, if you're arguing about Tom Brady as a quarterback, you're just arguing because you like to argue. You know, you're perfect for the uh, talking head TV cycle. If you try, if you try to argue anything about Tom Brady, I mean, this man went to a team. They didn't make the playoffs last year. Yeah, they got weapons, but a lot of guys have weapons and they don't win. And Tom Brady, uh, him, you know, with that that hell of a defense, you know, Todd Bowles, those guys did the damn thing, held the Chiefs to nine points. And as a Raider guy, I, you know, I, I must admit, I got some. I enjoyed watching Kansas City struggle. I must admit that was fun, just because, well, they're not the Raiders, so yeah, let them struggle. But. <laughs> You know, and then, you know, you know Brady, find, I mean, finding Gronk, finding Antonio Brown for a touchdown. It kind of sucked for me, obviously, because I never got to see that with the Raiders. It was, uh, you know, it was more like, uh, you know, just drama AB. But I said with Tom being the GOAT, I decided to look at it, when it in terms of rap music. Who is the GOAT? And this is a never-ending debate. You know, we, we never know who it is. It's always just kind of a different thing. So, who is, like I said, who is the GOAT? And I kind of put together some kind of criteria I look at to see who is the GOAT. You know, one of them being, you know, just your catalog. I think your catalog has to be extensive to stake that claim. Some of my favorite people favorite rappers, I don't think they had a long enough prime or a long enough run, like, you know, Big Daddy Kane is great, but I don't think his run was long enough to be in the GOAT debate. One of my favorites of all time is Ice Cube. Does his run, which is one of the greatest runs ever, if you start with Straight Outta Compton and go from that Straight Outta Compton, America's Most Wanted, Kill It Will, Death Certificate, The Predator, Lethal Injection Run, that's one of the greatest runs of all time in hip hop. Does that put him in the category, you know, in the running for the GOAT? I think I think he had a long enough stretch, you know, and if I if I want to you know, add some more to it, I'd add that West Side connection part, you know. So his you could say his run went from 88, 87, 88 to 96, 97. It's a 10-year run. To me, a 10-year run puts you in the conversation. Am I gonna say he is the GOAT? We'll see, but I think he's definitely a conversation. Yeah, and part of that is also, you know, how long your run is, like I said, you know. You know, Biggie, you know, is one of the greatest to ever touch the mic, but his run was cut short, you know, tragically. And you really only had he had two albums, you know, and Mike and, and I still argue that I think Life After Death should not have been a double C D. I would have loved one he could have dropped six or seven of them songs, put one great cd but that's just me being petty or picky probably still good music so but you know but biggie did does he have the run Pac has the catalog you know but you know like i said he his run was also cut short and then you look at some modern guys in that debate and to me two yeah only two guys in my, from, from my point of view have an argument to be in will we'll have an argument to be in the goat discussion one being drake one being kendrick lamar just in terms of variety, you know, you know the span of their catalog and the depth of it. I don't think Kendrick's put out a bad album once. I think every album he's put out has been a hit. And for me, my issue with Drake 
isn't that he isn't his rap songs that I can he can miss me with some of the singing stuff. You know, I'm like I listen to Drake to hear bars. I don't listen to Drake to hear you know singing. But hey, it works for him. But I think they'll you know they'll be in the conversation. And one actually I forgot to add one last bit of criteria: variety in that catalog. You know. Did you touch on, did you have songs that made me think? Songs that made me want to dance? Songs that, I don't know, you know, you just chill back and listen to and relax. Songs that get you hyped, you know. Do you have variety? So, criteria, you know, like I said, the catalog, the span of time of your run of success, and variety. So, in that case, we look at the who's in the GOAT conversation. So and I'm, I'll narrow it down to these guys, at least for the for the purposes of this, because I go back and forth on this, and I think the um, the guys with the biggest arguments to be in the goat conversation, in if that case, you know, you know, also consider the impact on the culture, uh, would be uh, Jay Z, Pac, and Drake. And you know, my homies ain't gonna like me saying Drake. Just because, well, he's Drake and they're gonna be like, Oh, you gonna put the singing dude up there? It's kinda hard to uh do that. You know, the other knock on Drake would be the question of whether or not he's uh writes all of his own stuff. I don't know. I'm still a believer that more of these rappers have gotten have ghost writers than we wanna admit. And it's all a matter of finding out who did what, but I, I'm not going to hold that against him. I have no nothing to say that he should be knocked completely out. When you look at the uh, level and the depth of hits that Drake has had for man, well over a decade at this point. So let's look at it. I'm going to start with uh, the, I'm gonna start with the five guys. Did I name all five of them? Let's go back: Pac, Jay, Biggie, Drake, and Kendrick. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. Pac. Uh, we start with Digital Underground, run through um, the last album that he put out. Well, it came out shortly after his death, but, you know, the last album that we know for sure that he had a lot of input on would have been, you know, the Machiavelli, you know, Don Caluminati Seven Day Theory. So does Pac have the catalog? Yes, he definitely has the catalog. Is he as lyrical as some would like? No. But Pac had the variety of songs. I mean, he had, you know, he hit every angle of life. And to this day, Pac's music is good. Like, I can put All Eyes on Me on today. And it sounds like it, it came out in the last, like, year or two. It sounds that good. So we can, we can look back now. And you can credit production as well. But... We could just see how far ahead of the game was Pac was musically. And I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves as a lyricist. People act like Pac was a trash lyricist. Pac was not. Pac was, you know, lyrically to me was right on point. I just think depending on what, you know, what coast you're from, how you felt during the whole Pac Biggie thing, all of that. Might have, you know, negatively influenced how you saw Pac as an MC. But I think Pac had had the whole package. And he was also ahead of the game in a lot of ways in terms of branching out and acting. He wasn't the first rapper to act. But, I mean, Pac was a trained actor. I mean, he was, you know, he was diverse. He was the culture. He was hip-hop. He was everything before, he, you know, he, he passed. I was in college when we lost Pac. I remember, you know, people being in tears because... 
Pac's music hit you like that to where you felt like you knew Pac, even if you never met Pac. So, you know, Pac's, and so we said that's the case for Pac. Then we can go to uh, Jay Z. Catalog, definitely. Definitely has the catalog. Definitely has span, you know, unlike most rappers. And it's funny, I would throw E40 in this too, that uh, most rappers are unable to continue to make hits as styles the styles adapt and change across age groups. I mean, you know, 40 has that too, but I mean, Jay-Z legit has put out music that I could have listened to back in the day. And people who have, you know, I could have, I have, you know, my kids are younger, but if my kids were older, they could still listen to some Jay-Z music and be like, wow, Jay-Z is good. So just the ability to span that, that wide range of time, you know, I mean, 444 came out, what, three, four years ago? I mean, and that was, that might've been Jay's best work. You're talking about someone who started in 96, possibly dropping his best album more, more than 20 years later. And you put out as many albums as Jay has put out. Of course, you're going to have some that didn't hit quite as well. I think uh, most of us could have done without Kingdom Come. But <laughs> all in all, Jay-Z's catalog is really impeccable. Can't say a whole lot about it. It's got, you know, he has the variety. Might be the best storyteller or one of the best storytellers ever. So Jay's definitely in there in that GOAT conversation. You got Biggie. I mean, his cat, I mean... What Biggie did was really good, but we only got two albums. So he gets, to me, he gets dinged in this the catalog and there's you no know, tragically due to his death the span of time. Even though that music still hits today, we just didn't get enough of it, unfortunately, and no, through no fault of, you know, of Biggie. But, you know, I would have loved to have seen where Biggie would have been, you know, on album number five, album number six. How would his content have changed? What would he have been talking about? How, where would he have been in, say, two, Biggie had been in 2000, 2001, 2002? It's a shame we never got to see that. So, but if Biggie, Biggie had all the ingredients to be the best to ever do it. And I think a lot of people would agree that what allowed Jay-Z to take off and run was that he filled a void that some people were missing when Pop, we lost Pac and Big. Okay, now we jump into my two guys who I think in the new age had, you know, have or have a have an argument, you know, Kendrick, you know, you're looking at a ten year run from him. We need another album, I think, but you know, you're looking at a good a great run, great music, not one bad album in the bunch. I I personally believe when it's all said and done, Kendrick will go down to the best rapper ever. That's just me. Maybe it's my West Coast bias, but I believe when it's all said and done, we'll be calling Kendrick Lamar the greatest to ever do it. And Drake Ah, yeah, he's going. He's set. He's a record setter. You know, there's no denying that all the hits, but you know, he's got the catalog. He's got over a decade in the game, still relevant. Oh, the catalog is just deep and extensive. Like I said, he's even got the singing stuff, which I'm not a, a big fan of, but it's part of what he does, and he does it well. And like I said, if, if I remove my West Coast bias out of it, you know, my admitted West Coast bias, my love for Ice Cube, my love for Kendrick, if I remove that, my love for Snoop, if I remove all of that, because Snoop is another guy who has the catalog, the span of time, and the variety, I think. 
maybe not as deep as a variety of the J or, or a Q, but Snoop's in there too. If I remove all my biases from the West Coast and just make it straight about music, you know, and make it about that, that catalog, the span of time, and the variety, it comes down to probably to Jay and Drake. But do I give Snoop you know, extra points? Because he did a whole double gospel album. I mean, Jay-Z never did a gospel album. It's good, you know, think about that, yeah. Maybe I'm shortchanging my LBC homie with that one. You know, you know. So I take everything I said back. Snoop is in there, too. I take that back, yeah. Like I said, this is a very informal poll of who the GOAT is. I'm just throwing it out there so y'all can throw the hate back at me, possibly. But I'm going to throw Snoop in there, too. So, but I think if you just look at, you know, the charts and all that, who's going to have all the number one records? It's going to come down to Drake and Jay-Z. And to me, at that point, it's a matter of, pr- of preference. And I usually don't like even using the term the GOAT when it comes to music. I, return, I prefer to say who's your favorite because your favorites are all relative. And for me, my favorite of all time is Ice Cube with Snoop, Kendrick, Game, DJ Quick, all, like I said, very West Coast heavy. All in the mix. I'm a big Eminem fan, even though over time it seems like people have acted like they didn't like Eminem or don't like him, which I don't get. But, you know, I'm a big Nas fan. I'm a big Jay fan. I'm a fan of a lot. I'm a big Rick Ross fan. Rick Ross, when it's all said and done, will probably be in this too. Rick Ross is extensive, deep, relevant over a large period of time. So, as you can tell, just by me, even when I wrote my list out, there were still names I missed because I missed who's going to be in that debate. So, But when it comes to football, it stops and ends at Tom Brady. As a victim, as a fan of the tuck rule, it pains me to say that. But yeah, you know, every head must bow. No, Tom Brady did the damn thing again. So that's it for your GOAT discussion. Shoot me your GOAT questions, your, your points of view. Tell me I'm crazy who I miss because I'm always trying to hear the music I haven't heard yet. So hit me up on Twitter, Mr. Underscore Jason Jones. Hit me up on Instagram at Mr. Jones LBC. You get in there and follow my story. You can usually see what I'm listening to. A lot of times what I'm listening to is just uh, music I'm playing at the workout or as I'm cooking or cleaning. If you see the oldies showing up, that's usually when I'm cooking and cleaning. You know, the rap is usually when I'm working out. So tell me what you think about my music that I'm listening to. Is there anybody I should be listening to? We can discuss them on the Ruler of the Court podcast. So again, I'll, I'll drop my socials again. Not my, not my social security number, but my socials. Uh, Mr. Underscore Jason Jones on Twitter. Mr. Jones LBC on Instagram. Uh, that's all from me on this episode of the Ruler of the Court podcast. Brought to you by the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host. The one of many... or with my name but when it comes to this this court the one and only jason jones y'all be good out there i will catch you next time and i'm gone